Welcome to the Property Portfolio Podcast with Mark Stokes and Nigel Green. Every week we inspire and guide you towards success in the world of property development, mentorship and fundraising. Before we jump into today's episode, a reminder to join us at equacademy.co.uk where you can gain free access to hundreds of videos and templates to help you on your property development journey. Good morning and a very warm welcome to the next episode of Property Portfolio Podcast. Good morning, Nigel. How are you? Good morning, Mark. Yeah, very well, thank you. Yeah, how's yourself? Good, very good. And uh, well, today it's something very close to your heart in particular. I mean, you run our land and acquisition team and find the deals. So due diligence on yeah. analysing your developments, that's uh, that's something you live and breathe. So uh, going to have a good old blast into that this morning, aren't we? We are, yeah. I'm looking forward to it, and it's it's quite a broad subject. It's it's only two words, but it's uh, it's quite a broad subject to get into. But I think we've got a couple of case studies as well, haven't we? We can talk about, which will be really interesting for the the listeners to hear about. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, exactly that. It gives us the opportunity. It can sometimes just basic information can be a little bit dry, but just illustrating it with some examples and. We come through some choppy water every now and again. It's easy for people to think it's a graceful swan gliding across the, the surface, but I think anybody involved in property development, you you have to expect the unexpected, and, and that's the, the simulate and anticipate philosophy, isn't it, that we build up? It's very much so, and, you know, the graceful swan analogy is a good one. Um, and I think we use the whack-a-mole analogy a few times, don't we, In um, you know, when we, we're discussing things. And it's very much like that. And I think the, the positiveness is always about just keeping, you know, stepping forward, keep moving. And as the, as the problems kind of pop up, you just deal with them and then you move on. You know, you just keep moving on, moving on. And then that's the way you, you absolutely overcome. And, you know, DD takes you so far. Um, there's only so much you can do. We're all, we're always dealing with the past, um, generally, and uh, you know it's, it's. I mean, due diligence is really an investigation, audit, you know, or a review, really, um, that's performed to understand all the facts, um, you know, of a matter that's under investigation. You know, so that matter could be, you know, looking at a deal, looking at an investment, um, you know, or whatever it may be. And it's it's an interesting approach as well because we, we find you know as developers as investors uh, as funders really in some cases um, and looking from the other side that they're all very similar in terms of the DD the, the processes all analyzing the same data so you know whether you are a developer whether you are an investor you know the approach is almost the same you know to to that and uh, you know it's, but it's very important to to create that audit file as you go through to collect data collect information analyze it enables you to ask lots of questions um you know and obviously receive the answer and sometimes the answers generate more questions as well but um just have that have that logged in you know in somewhere i mean we use dropbox you know other systems are available obviously but um you know you just put it wherever it is so it's locked in for you know that period of time that you can always refer to it i think um, yeah and that that audit file incredibly important but also understanding who needs to audit that information whether it be the bank and it we, we were talking earlier on this morning weren't we about um one of the uh, examples of a development we did uh, quite a number of years ago now uh, it's a 26 26 apartment commercial to residential conversion and uh Part of that audit trail 
wasn't just for the bank and looking for our purchase, um, but it was also looking, it was start, classic start with the end in mind, wasn't it? You know, looking at the environmental footprint and positioning ourselves in the in the eyes of the um, our future buyers, because that was a buy, develop, and sell. Do, do you want to just uh, re- recount the, the the story of that one? Yeah, absolutely. Very very quickly. So, um, you know, the, this particular DV element was undertaken by a solicitor. So when when she was doing the, the environmental searches, she, I mean, it, it splays out in all directions. Those searches do, but you know, particularly one is around, uh, let's say, ground contamination. And, uh, you know, the records uh, that are held by the local authority, um, as you you won't be surprised to hear, kind of only started at a certain period of time. And, you know, we've got all the records thereafter, but it can get a little bit sketchy prior to. Um, And what we were looking for uh, was really confirmation that when this building was built, that there was... It was not built on any land that was potentially contaminated. And we really struggled um, to find any evidence to confirm that. Um, so that kind of led on to like a almost a corrective action approach to, to try to find a way. Because our concern was that we were going to develop this particular building that was sat on probably land that was absolutely okay. Um, but it, it had no record of um, that land being decontaminated or um, you know remediated or whatever it is. So there, there was no record of that. So of course, having you know having produced in the future kind of twenty six flats and and selling them to the open market, every single one of those sales may potentially have a completely different solicitor, um, you know, supporting their their client in that purchase. And the same inquiry is going to come up. So we're going to have twenty six problems all the way through this process and that that just couldn't couldn't be the case so we had to find a way just stepping back as, as well in the story that um we did we through a bit of investigation we did find that <clears throat> on the land or close to the land um it used to be used um for uh some sort of vehicle like a garage i think the terminology was garage now a garage can mean a number of things. It can it can mean you know a showroom, so there's just cars on the forecourt and that's it, all the way through to kind of heavy maintenance, um, you know, fabrication, all sorts of things. Really, at the other end of the scale, you know, where potential oil could seep into the ground and create contamination. You know, it's always a an eyebrow raiser when you're looking at a piece of land and its 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 former use was let's say a car park because we know cars probably not so much these days but certainly in the past used to leak engine oil you know that would seep into the um into the tarmac into the gravel and then into the ground and it was would be there for kind of evermore so um so yeah we 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 had this conundrum and and really the resolution of uh, this scenario was we we decided to um basically have, have some ground samples taken so we we sought permission from the the vendor at the time we hadn't bought the building but this was part of the due diligence to to really lock it in and we uh we, we turned up into the ground floor car parking area with a a mini piling rig and they 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 saw through the the car park uh concrete floor uh, got down to the you know the substructure there um and uh, and then started boring boring down to take ground samples i think from memory it was about a six meter sample 
So we kind of went down about six meters. Now they took core, they took core out of that in four locations that went off to the lab. Um, and then good news, it came back absolutely clear. But that was great because then we could share that information with the local authority, get it onto the, the ground contamination register, and that would then be there forevermore. And that that was a, a great example of adversity turning into, right, that's that's another mole whacked. Let's move on to the next one, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's probably a good example of um, due diligence. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That start with the end in mind. I think that also aided the process with help to buys due diligence as well in that process. So just multiple parties. Well, it's reliance information. That's what we're, we're creating, isn't it, in the in the audit file. And I think many of those starting in, in property development, it's we don't know what we don't know. Um, and that's really what where whenever you're whenever you're learning, and we're all learning, you know, there's always new scenarios, none of us can be complacent, but you must, and it's a great piece of advice we were given three decades ago. You, know, you must find a place to position that learning. You've got to record it. We use the ECRA IDA. I mean, that's version 60 now. You know, goodness knows how many hundred pieces, hundreds of pieces of information it's got in there. Every piece of learning goes into there. And you'll have your, I'm sure you'll have your own system. If you haven't, make sure you start creating one now. And that classic start with version one to get to version 10, you've got to make a start. Even if it's a blank spreadsheet, we do the same with our risk registers and various other things. So, um, and I mean, that was, that was a a piece of land with a building. I mean, the building literally took the entire footprint of, of that piece of land that was in a, an urban location, well, city sent oldest city in the country uh, location. Um, And we've had other examples where, um, where we're uh, acquiring pieces of land and uh, being very clear on identifying the the boundary line, setting out points, right of ways that uh, come across that land, um, and quite often the the, the rudimentary searches and they're quite detailed that the solicitors will do. They will check against land registry, but you know land registry red line. It's quite a thick marker pen, isn't it? When you're literally down on the ground and you want it to the nearest uh, you know a few centimeters. Um, yeah. so. Just be really careful with that as well, because you know, um, although I guess land registry is a point of reliance, you know, calling for the information and having it in front of you, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's right, <laughs> and it doesn't necessarily mean it's right for all parties either, as well. You know, let, let's say just for the moment that um, the piece of land has got a defined right away for a third party, you know. It's understanding more about that right away and where it cuts through the land and and there's, there's so much of that going on, Mark, isn't there? And you know, over probably many hundreds of years, you know, landowners have met at the maybe at the local tavern and had a had a chat and would you be okay if we granted a right away? Yeah, no problem. And it's all almost done in a a very sociable um, back in the day, you know. But but this carries on all the way through. So buying a plot of land there just means to be very very aware of of, of those points. And in, and indeed, if there is a right away, it's understanding, I guess, the two parties' interpretation of it, and indeed where it is, how wide it is, 
what the restrictions, if there's any notice periods for granting the right, all these sort of aspects just need to be considered because it could, it could in some ways be a potential showstopper, you know, depending what it actually says. So, but there's, you know, there's some great support out there, Mark, isn't there? You know, boundary surveyors and, and all those sort of parties that can, can help in a bit like the ground contamination story that we've just discussed. You know, they can come along, produce a report, you know, they've, they've got the one, the wonders of GPS these days that so they can pinpoint to within a millimeter accuracy of boundary lines and right of ways and all those sort of things. And it just becomes a, a report in the file. And if ever called upon, you've got that data. If the bank ever asks about it, you've got that data. If the potential buyers ever ask for it by their, their legal representatives, you've got the report, you know, and it just takes that problem away for sure. So. I think that's, that's a great example and, and particularly warning signs there for anybody who is either acquiring a property from somebody who's had a purchase option uh, or somebody who's involved in purchase options. You know, we, we hear time and time again of people, you know, entering into agreement for a pound to seal the deal and, you know, minimal due diligence. Well, if, if you're dealing with land, one person's perception of the boundary of the land can be very different to the actual legal the legal boundaries. Um, and we've seen examples over the years, and you've seen many deals that have come across your desk, which uh, have outlined planning or going for planning in land that, well, it conflicts with the actual boundaries. Um, you've, you've mentioned right of way. You know, that's, that's a great example. I mean, some of these deeds, handwritten, they go back decades, if not centuries. Um, and as you say, what is the interpretation of those? Is it for vehicular? Is it pedestrian? Um, somebody's thoughts of immediate right-of-way access through a construction site, thinks security, through, you know, don't want children playing or, or, or accessing. Um, so the, the, the legal provisions um, are absolutely crucial right at the front end as you say, to, to make sure you, you know exactly what piece of land you've got and the rights that you have across it. Absolutely, or, or onto it as well. And, you know, there's a couple of examples I can think about and not to go into much, too much detail at the moment, but, you know, just the way that the red line is is drawn on on a Friday afternoon onto a, onto a plot um, to define the, the title boundary could actually determine whether you own the legal right to that land <laughs> because if if for some reason and we've seen this on a, an example um in the past mark haven't we where the the red line had been drawn and it was drawn just shy of the payment edge and and therefore it created a strip of land no wider than a size 10 shoe <laughs> all the way across the entrance to the site so technically you haven't got the right to cross that piece of land because you don't own it. Mm. There's no right of way, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you can see how, how important these things are just to kind of look through the lens of the what ifs. And I mean, there are indemnity policies, of course you can, you can get, but there's, there's no better scenario than having a clean title. Everything's fine. You've analyzed your, your title boundaries. You understand very clearly if there are any right of ways, what it means, um, how it will affect the site for the future. And, and you're very clear you can get onto the site, um, you know, and you own all aspects of it. But that, 
that scenario there was literally, um, uh, you know, maybe let's say a CAD operator's slight error, you know, just just shy of the of the edge of that payment there, and it became it becomes what could be termed as a ransom strip. So if if somebody lays claim to that strip of land, no wider than you a size ten shoe, <laughs> you know, they they could unlimited amount of money they could charge for you to take ownership or access across that piece of uh, land so and could be challenged at any point Mark, couldn't it yeah you can we, we've seen there's been quite a pivotal event over the last uh, 10 years or so as the land registry records are being digitized and the transfer from a handwritten red line to a digitized red line sometimes mistakes and errors occur um and and they, they they can be challenged and 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 absolutely need to be challenged. Happened with my parents' bungalow. Um, they, um, they mysteriously the red line didn't include the path down the side where you take your wheelie bins around the, around the side of the building. Um, but yet it was very clear when they bought it twenty five years ago that that was that was clear. So they put a they put a notice in and, and they got the got the change approved. So mistakes can happen. What I've also found quite intriguing is that there are different levels of searches to land registry that solicitors can do. You know, they can do their cursory checks, but there's also a deep dive check as well. And that's where these, uh, these underlying uh, deeds and things can sometimes lurk and that may not be immediately obvious. So particularly when you're buying a, a piece of land um, really make sure your solicitor has dug and delved into into everything and don't just assume because they're part of your professional team that they've acted professionally at the level of and depth you require yes, absolutely absolutely we we've um, we've got a site in um, Colchester mark haven't we at um, portal precinct and you know we've been quite open in sharing that story certainly to uh, to parties um, over the last couple of years, but that that was that was a great little site. Um, certainly, one that we we bought in our pension, and so on and so forth. And that had a, if you recall, a, a legal right of way right through the courtyard, <laughs> right through the courtyard, and and it was literally to one of the one of the shops a bit further down the the the, ro- the road. Um, I think it was next door, but four or five actually. But just the, the back of their shop just happened to be into our courtyard and it had a roller shutter door and there was a legal a legal right of access to to gain access to that. So that had quite a profound effect on our plans around that site because um we we had like the rear part of the site and there was three shops and we got planning permission for the conversion of the upper parts to residential. And there was the front part of the site which um sat along the main road where there was a couple of additional um commercial properties there. Uh, with uppers and then there was kind of this gap at the side and the intention was really just to fill in the gap totally and and add that additional value that we all crave for and want you know in any development so um but clearly this right of way you know impacted those plans in the first instance so we we had to maintain and we ended up putting some nice wrought iron gates on and all those sorts of things um, but we ended up only, well, limited to um, the upper part. So we just did a flyover, if you like, of a flat, extended the flat to a, a lovely size. But nonetheless, it, it limited the, the capability just because of that right away was written into the deed, you see. So, so again, DD is really important because let's say 
our intention was to do that full development, ground and first, that could have had a, a detrimental effect on the GDV potentially. And, um, you know, you just wouldn't have been allowed to, to do it at, at all, you know. So we, we found a workaround, but considered that right from the outset and, and therefore it was absolutely fine. But there's a, another example where, you know, these small, the small print can really impact on, on your plans um, going forward. Sometimes it's the most mundane things that bring that to, to the surface as well, isn't it? And, and quite often it's bins and waste disposal and what other people's view of where they can store bins or where they can simply chuck their black bin liners and hope to goodness the local authority remove them, um, which can have a serious environmental health position. And I mean, that's guaranteed to get agitation levels right up there. So just making sure you've got a waste management plan in place yeah. um, and it's legally legally certified, really. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes when you've got <clears throat> multiple parties, in our case, we've got um, five commercial operators and we've got three residential parties within that block. And you, you have to kind of lead from the front and, you know, just taking that point there about waste management, you know, we've had to define the site's policy around that and we've had to kind of lead it with a bit of a rod of iron actually so it's very clear that this is what you do that's where you put your bins you know and and there is no deviation from that you know we've spoke to the local council council understand where the bins are you know there's a there's a process that the bins have to be taken down to a certain location on the on the pavement edge on a certain day at a certain time you know and and that kind of started right from the outset you know we had You'll always get, you know, people kind of leaving, leaving, and then new people coming in, and misinterpretation, understanding, and all all those sort of things, which kind of just have to be dealt with. But yet, you really have to lead from the front, otherwise, it just creates absolute carnage, doesn't it? And then one starts to, you know, one party starts to do something slightly different to the to the rules, and then all of a sudden, you've got everybody. Doing it. So, so it's it's a it's a really important part and particularly with waste management um is a key bit because you know if you start to deviate from the plan you could have all sorts of you know vermin infestation and all sorts of things happening and then you've got the environmental teams on top of you and what have you so yeah that particular point is as almost it's one of those or oh, deal with that later on you kind of really have to lock into that very very soon uh, once the development's yeah. completed i guess you should almost be treated as a utility in its own right. You know, you've got gas, water, electric, uh, foul, waste management, yeah. uh, and, and comms, you know, it, it, it's that important. Yeah, very much so. Um, so um, if if anybody wants additional information, there's, we've got a whole smorgasbord of, of videos and, and content for you. Go to our website, which is www.equa.com academy that's equa academy.co.uk and join up lots of free content there for you to to immerse yourself into um you mentioned that particular development in colchester nigel um just got me thinking about the importance of of time and the amount of time many of our offers were not big risk takers we're we're fairly conservative um so we do like to have a period of time there for conditionality in our offers which are quite often subject to something aren't they subject to pd or subject to to planning happening 
but there's a real art in making sure your offer is structured to make that realistic. Um, I think from memory, the shortest we've ever had a planning conditional, uh, uh, an offer conditional has probably been about three to four months. And that was particularly tight, wasn't it? Very tight, but we knew what we were doing. Um, but thinking about how long do you need that conditionality for over what period, what that long stop is, because you could do all your due diligence, but if you run out of time, all that potentially is comes to naught. It, it, it absolutely does. And, you know, also I think on that point, um, conditionality, you know, you, you think you're going into an agreement with conditionality, I, uh, it is subject to planning. Okay, that's, that's fine. But just just be careful because there could be, as much as the intention is to go to planning, just make sure it's not open-ended because the vendor under contract could force you to continue to put in planning applications forevermore. <laughs> the fact you just fail planning, there's still a conditionality subject to planning. So you, you just need to be really, really careful that um, the rules around that um, application process are very clearly defined. And it might be, you know, one strike and you're out kind of thing in terms of, you know, you will, you will put planning in, uh, sorry, you put an application in and if it fails, then you have the right to withdraw from the contract. Um, but if, if it's, if it's unclear and it's, it's not defined within the contract, you can find yourself that, you know, the vendor's imposing, well, okay, you, you might've failed, but put it in again. And, you know, you think of architectural costs, you think of just the application fees, you think of time, impact, all those sort of things. But you're, you're being forced to get planning, you know, through by whatever whatever means. So, so there's a couple of things there. I think understanding the rules of engagement are absolutely key. But when you're, when you're putting your offers in, I'd also probably urge you to um, define very clearly what you want to go to planning for. So, so let's say in your, in your offer, you know, you're offering an amount of money for the property, um, but it's subject to planning, but continue on with that conversation or that detail within the offer letter to say it's subject to planning to achieving full plan application for 22 one bedroom flats um, of sizes between 40 square meters and 45 square meters, as an example, you know, you may have, you may have multiple uses in there, excuse me. Um, you know, where you want to bring in maybe a commercial unit as well and be pres- pres- prescriptive really in terms of what you're, what you're looking for. So that if for some reason the, the local authorities say, well, you know, we can't do that quantum, but we'll be happy if you say instead of 20 odd, you did 15, we'd probably pass it through. But the problem is you might get planning permission for something that doesn't work <laughs> in your scheme and therefore you can't afford to, um, you know, sit behind the offer, the offer price. So it's conditionality is really important. And so understand the the rules of engagement and what you need to do and what you don't need to do. Um, and I think be very prescriptive in terms of what you need to get planning approval for um, to enable uh, the support of that, that offer price. Um, yeah. So I think that's, that's a re- really important. Important fact, and you, you, Mark, you mentioned the long stop as well, which is really important. 
Yeah, we t- we take uh, we take everybody through that in quite some detail in our commercial to residential and land development thirteen week program, which the next one incidentally is now released as the twenty second of September. So we do that three times a year. So again, head to equacademy.co.uk. Um, so look, we're drawing to the end of, of another episode, Nigel, and it's great to share those real life case studies. And thank you so much for those of you that have taken the time to write in. Um, you know, you really do enjoy it. Bring, brings it to life. Um, so uh, we've we've had a, a lot of examples, um, and we're happy to share some of the things that have gone well, some of the challenges that we've had, the tenacity that we've had to to deploy, and the, the team again uh, to overcome those. So uh, life rich tapestry, Nigel. It's not easy, but it's definitely achievable um, if you've got the right mindset to solve problems and many of our mentees have exactly that and are doing great things doing amazing things and i think it's the reality also that you know we we, we teach and we we talk about examples of a lot of things but thank goodness we've got just an amazing professional team that's taken all the heavy lifting of these points and we're we're almost like the decision makers if you like and that support mechanism for the professional team but those guys are doing it every day, you know, and they've, they've got so much experience. You know, we will prompt them from time to time, of course we will, but, you know, these these fellas are there and the ladies are there to keep us safe and, um, you know, it's not not just us. So that that really enables, you know, particularly our mentees to just do some incredible things. You know, we, we, we share our professional team with them and, uh, and sometimes we bring other parties in as well, which is great to just swell the network, which is fantastic, but... But it's absolutely achievable, and you know it's changing people's lives out there, which is just wonderful. You know, and from our perspective, that's what we're kind of doing this for. We want to try and do our bit and uh, see the amazing results that uh, can be achieved. Absolutely right. Well, we're recording this podcast episode in early August uh, 2021, and August is a time where where we tend to focus inwardly with our families. And also, and, and I'm with Nigel all day today, um, we analyse our business. So we're looking at our next 12 and 24 months of forward strategy for our businesses. And it's always good to take time and, and take stock, step out of your business and look back into it uh, and plan. So uh, that's our day ahead and our, our week ahead. So have a wonderful summer, everybody. We'll see you as always next Wednesday morning for the live recording of Property Portfolio Podcast. Thanks again, Nigel. Thanks, Mark. Take care. Bye-bye. Have a good week, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Property Portfolio Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode and that it inspired you on the next leg of your journey. If you've got any questions or comments, why not reach out to us at our Facebook page, Equa Academy. Also, don't forget to register for free access to hundreds of property development videos and templates over at equacademy.co.uk and we'll see you in next week's episode. Thank you.